0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's word, which we hear this morning, is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. We'll begin with just the first verse, verse 33. Here, another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, and he set a hedge around it dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. You are God's vineyard. Our Old Testament reading, as well as many other parables and words of God, make it clear that the vineyard is God's picture of his people. And we begin this parable with a detailed explanation of just how great God's love is for his vineyard. He sets a wall around it to keep it safe. He puts a a tower in its midst to watch over it. That wall is the, the doctrine of fellowship which seeks to keep false teachers away from us. And we, we see in our day, especially how those who despise that wall, who despise that doctrine of fellowship, how easily and eagerly the false teachers and the wolves invade those churches. And here is this tower watching over it, your pastor and your elders which watch over you, and you are planted in the good soil of God's word. Later on, of course, these vine dressers, these farmers whom the Lord hires will attempt to take the vineyard and the fruit of the vineyard for themselves. But God will not have it. God is jealous for his people, isn't he? He demands that you are his and he is going to keep you as his. I am a jealous God, he tells us, that no one should snatch you away from me. Therefore, God has planted you in good soil and built a wall around you and a tower in the midst of you. And this tower and this wall might sometimes feel to us irksome, yet it is a reminder of God's love to protect us. We continue with verses 34 and 36. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vinedressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Verse 34, verse 35 sorry, really emphasizes the progression of sin, the, the building up of the hatred that these vinedressers have for their master. The first servant comes and they merely beat it, but then... The second, they kill. And finally, the third, they take stones and throw it at that servant until he's dead. You really see their anger, their hatred coming out in that final act. Well, in all the acts, but uh, especially in that final act. The parable doesn't stop and take the time to explain what they think they're doing or, or where this anger and hatred come from, but it seems likely that they are thinking to themselves that they deserve the fruit, right? After all, they're the ones who worked hard. Uh, this should be ours. Certainly in the next verses they say that we'll take it from the sun, and it will, it will become ours. So we see that same progression of sin that we, we saw with Cain, beginning with resentment and hatred, beginning with that uh, idea of I'm being unjustly treated, And one left unchecked grows even into murder. And it's a warning to us anytime we feel such anger dwelling up inside of us. Anytime we feel that we ourselves are the victims. Oh, it's not my fault. Look how I've been treated. And we allow that anger to grow up inside of us. The Bible does talk about righteous anger against sin. But it talks about it only... From God, not from men. The Bible reminds us the wrath of God, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It may be, <clears throat> I don't know, but it may be that uh, men have a correct righteous anger when they are jealous for someone else. Uh, they see the way someone else is being treated, and they're angry with, oh look how they're treating that kid, or look how they're they're treating that, that person who does not deserve it. There may at times be a right anger in that sense, but when it's on our own behalf, when the anger comes from that idea that, well, I'm being mistreated, then it almost certainly is not the righteous anger of God, but that selfishness, and we need to stop and, and repent of our sins before we get to the, the point that these vine dressers are at. Verse 37 to 39. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the dresser saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is specific in the parable here. He adds a detail. It's not really necessary in the parable, but he adds it that they cast him out of the vineyard, they took him out of the vineyard and in so doing he foreshadows his own death. Jesus is telling this parable on Palm Sunday, it's the evening of Palm Sunday when he's talking to the leaders and this is going to happen very soon and of course Jesus was not only killed, but as the scripture reveals, he was taken out of the city and he was cut off, the psalm says he was cut off from his people the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews cast him out, both physically and metaphorically. This, in, this verse, in these verses we see both the height of the grace of God and the depth of man's sin. The Master ought to have sent the law to deal with these men, shouldn't he? In our day, he would send the police. They didn't have police in the Roman Empire. They would have used the soldiers, the Roman army, as a police force. He should have gathered some soldiers and taken care of them long before this point. But we see his grace, his love, his jealousy for his people, even for the vine dressers that are acting so wickedly that instead of sending the law to punish them, he sends the gospel. He sends even his own son and his desire to to call them back to himself. But then, of course, we see the depth of man's sin in the despising of God's Son. Here God sends his Son, and they reject him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. This is the, the ultimate sinfulness of man, that they despise even God's grace in his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us every sin will be forgiven, man, except the sin against the Holy Spirit. And this is what he's talking about. Those who reject the grace in Christ, those who reject his Son, there is no hope left for them because it is through that Son that our sins are forgiven. That despising of God's grace in Christ leaves only hopelessness, as we will see, and God's wrath in the verses to come, verses 40 and 41. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They, that is the leaders, the chief priests, said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and leave their vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruit in their seasons. The Greek word for evil is kakos. And the Jewish leaders themselves actually use it twice. They, they call the men kakus kakos wickedly evil is from the mouth of the chief priests and leaders of the jews it's from their own mouths that they themselves receive judgment just as of course we remember happened to david when he was confronted by the prophet nathan he said where is this man i will punish him for this thing and nathan says to david you are the man Of course, the difference between David and the Jewish leaders in in our parable, in our account this morning, is that David, when confronted with that law, repented, whereas the Jewish leaders will not. In the verse to come, Jesus is going to tell the people that uh, whoever falls on this rock will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And so we see that distinction in the results from David and from the Jewish leaders in our text this morning. David was broken by God's law. He was broken in spirit. He was broken in heart. He rend his heart, as God says to the prophet, rend your heart and not your your garments. He was broken, his pride was broken, and he fell in Christ in humility, to plead for his mercy, and he received mercy. He was broken, but he was not crushed. But the Jewish leaders, in our account this this morning, refusing to fall on Christ's mercy, refusing to fall on that rock of Christ, stand under God's judgment. That rock is about to fall on them, because they would not fall on it, and they will be crushed. Those who despise the grace of God in Christ Jesus, who sent his own son to die for us, this is the result. They are crushed under God's punishment. Verses 42 to 46. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes, because they took him for a prophet. The quote to which Jesus refers in our text is from Psalm 118, verse 22. The same psalm that was proclaimed to Jesus just earlier this same day. Remember, this is Palm Sunday evening. Remember how Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, And also the the quote, uh, This is the day the Lord has made. Both all three come from this same psalm, from Psalm 118. In his commentary on Psalm 118, Luther explains this verse, verse 22, he explains it very well. He says, here we have wise masters in their craft, and they are busy, they are busy building the edifices of this world, building governments and nations, building structures and building industry and trade. And here these masters in their craft are careful. They, they take each stone as they are building and they place it carefully in the right place where it will fit together, where there will be no cracks in their building so that the building will be strong and will last. And yet here comes Christ. And they take Christ and they try and fit him into these buildings they are building, but he does not fit. No matter which way they turn him, no matter where they put him, Uh, Trying to stick Christ into their walls leaves gaps or causes the wall to lean. And so what do they do? They toss Christ, the rock that is Christ. They toss it away. They throw it away. But along comes a greater builder. And he says to them, you fools. This this is not a stone to put into your walls. This is a stone, this is a foundation stone. And he takes that foundation, stone of christ and he builds upon it something greater than any of the masters of this world has ever built using christ as a foundation he built his church which lasts forever and so the the psalmist david the psalmist proclaims this is the lord's doing That is, the people see this thing which the Lord has built and they say, this must be built by the greatest craftsman, the Lord. There's no one else who could build such a structure. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. What the Lord has created on this foundation which is Christ. And so David continues in Psalm 18, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And again, he begins the psalm, Let Israel now say, Let the house of Aaron now say, Let all who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. Because God has built his church on Christ. Christ is the foundation. It's not a supporting rock. He can't go in the wall wherever you try to fit him. He can't fit into your lives wherever you want him. God will build your life on Christ. He will align your life, match it up with Christ, or Christ will have no place in your life. He doesn't fit into your plans any more than he fit into the plans of the Jewish leaders. They were trying to build an earthly nation. They were trying to build something on their own righteousness. Look at how what great people we are. Surely God will bless us because of our good works and, cre- and help us to create a political edifice on this earth. Christ doesn't fit into ideas of our work righteousness. He doesn't fit into political ideology. He doesn't fit into our ideas of ourselves as, well, we're pretty good people. We're we're pretty good Christians. We just need a little help every once in a while. Christ doesn't fit into that kind of ideology. The Bible says, chief of sinners. You are chief of sinners. The Bible says, rend your heart and repent. Humble yourselves before God. We're going to be talking about Daniel in Bible class. When When the world looks at Daniel, we say, what a great hero of faith. And indeed he was. And yet, in the chapter we're going to look at today, he humbled himself and fasted for three weeks. And the angel says to him, because you have humbled yourself before God, even Daniel <coughs> needed to humble himself before God. He doesn't fit into our attitudes that, well, I'm the victim and everyone else is the problem. And God needs to bring the, his punishment on everyone else, but he doesn't need to... He doesn't need to punish me. How often don't we uh, assume that everyone else is the problem? Christ doesn't fit into into that kind of ideology either. Uh, It's not your neighbor or your spouse that's the problem, but it's you who need to repent, God's Word reminds us. Jesus doesn't fit into our plans for our lives where we think, well, this is the goal of my life to amass wealth and to make a comfortable life on this earth and to uh, become famous or whatever, the pursuit of wealth and happiness. But what does Scripture say? You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus doesn't fit into modern society's idea of inclusivity, right? Modern society wants to make of Jesus just another, another piece, interchangeable, like Uh, The pieces that are created by our our modern machines. We take one piece out and put another one in. They want to stick Jesus in wherever they want him. They want to be able to remove him and put uh, Muhammad or Buddha in his place. Jesus isn't an interchangeable part, He is the foundation. What does Scripture say? The Lord, He is God, He is our Maker, and not we ourselves. This is the grace of God in Christ Jesus that he sent his son into this world to die for us and through him as the foundation he has built that which is marvelous in our eyes, the church of God, the rock. We, hear, we heard it also in Daniel last year. We were studying Daniel, the rock that was cut without hands and became the cornerstone and lasted forever. He sent his son out of jealousy for his people, To make us his own. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. God will build your life and align your life to Christ. You cannot fit Christ into where you want him in your life. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.